If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. Friends, today, Gorik Eng is going to be joining us to talk about his book, The Unspoken Rules, Secrets to Starting Your Career Off Right. Now, if you're like me and you're three or more decades into your career, keep listening because this is also really good advice for seasoned managers who are bringing on early career professionals or even for those of us that sometimes find ourselves in new or unusual situations and we're just looking for better ways to approach it than we have in the past. So whether you're a seasoned professional or you're still maybe a senior in college and thinking about what you're going to do next, this is a great episode for you to listen to. Gorick is the Wall Street Journal best-selling author of The Unspoken Rules, which, by the way, is published by Harvard Business Review. It is a guide that helps professionals, especially those from underrepresented backgrounds, take control of their careers. Gorick has conducted over 500 interviews with professionals across many industries, all over the globe. And you re- again, you think about this, 500 interviews, if you did to a day. It would take you 250 days, so really a full work year just to do those interviews. Most people are going to take years to do that. He's a first-generation college student. He graduated from Harvard College and also from HBS, Harvard Business School. Currently, he's a career advisor at Harvard College, and he's also so much more than that. As a career advisor at Harvard College, he specializes in coaching first-generation, low-income students. And when I say so much more than that, he's already written this Wall Street Journal best-selling book. He has been featured, frankly, in media that you know and probably are familiar with, The Today Show, The New York Times, BuzzFeed, Fast Company, lots of others. And the final thing I'll say before I bring Gorakam is if I could get in a Wayback Machine— and go back to 1993, which is when I started my professional journey, and bring a copy of this book with me, I would have saved myself so much heartache and agony. And honestly, like, my life would have been better then, and my life would have been better today. Gorik, 
Welcome to the podcast. Dolph, thank you so much for such a generous introduction, for the invitation to have this conversation with you today. I, I'm just so excited to be here. Thank you. Well, well thank you. I'm, I am super excited for this conversation. And I kind of already shared with you how we were going to kick it off, although I only shared it like maybe 10 minutes ago. So it's still kind of throwing <laughs> this one at you. But if a new college graduate was just about to start their first professional job and they ask you for advice, but you've already called up an Uber and you're on your way to LaGuardia. So you can look and you can see you got three minutes. What would you say to them? This has happened before. <laughs> and I would say there are things to figure out logistically and mentally. So logistically, make sure you have the path that you're going to take to work mapped out in Google Maps so that you've plotted exactly the route you need to take such that you can arrive at least 15 minutes ahead of time. Make sure you've got a notebook, make sure you've got your laptop, your phone, your credit card, make sure you're dressed in line with your coworkers, all of those basic things. That's what most people will plan for physically. What people often don't plan for mentally is the following. Go on Google, search for the organization's name, scroll through their products, their services, their team page, their blog page, understand what this organization does, what it's been up to recently, who's in charge. And while you're at it, go on to their Wikipedia profile if they have one, their social media if they have one, go on to news.google.com, see what they've been up to. And one of my favorite websites is Google Alerts. So google.com slash alerts, set an alert for this organization, what it does, its leadership, so that Google will do the hard work for you of sending you a digest of what this organization is up to every day. For me, it's 4 p.m., could be different for you. But just doing these things will set you in the top percentile of folks who are starting their new jobs. So I smile because I think back on a story in your book where someone on their first day or second day walks into an elevator, someone else walks in and introduces themselves and they go, hi, and don't realize that it was the CEO that just introduced themselves. It happens. I mean, I, I was trying to figure out who to profile because I'd heard that same story from far too many people. And it was actually after the, the book was published that a high schooler messaged me on LinkedIn and said that he had just started a summer co-op, found himself in the same situation, and had <laughs> luckily read my book, had researched the organization ahead of time, and had an intelligent conversation with the CEO of this organization. And fast forward to the end of his co-op, and they're still in touch. And the CEO of this organization became this high schooler's mentor. So it doesn't have to be a horror story if you do it well and you make that good first impression. And I also like that you bring that up because so much of your book is about doing the homework. You say in the book, school is about keeping up. Work is about stepping up. But part of that stepping up is doing the homework, whether it's before your first day, your first meeting, doing the homework with your new manager. And it's homework that, doesn't get assigned because it's optional. And it's also prep work that the average person doesn't see. So I'm thinking back to my own internships and new jobs. And I just remember looking left, looking right, and being baffled, floored by just how much others around me seem to know about the organization already. And I thought to myself, whoa, do people just come out of the womb with this knowledge? Turns out they were doing this prep work behind the scenes, but not telling anyone. So they show up as a high performer, quote unquote, or a high potential. But it's not common sense. It's not something that the average person does. 
I personally didn't do it. And I, I see far too many people not doing it either. And as a result, not coming across as strong of, of a performer as they could compared to someone who did this prep work. It's interesting you say that because I, I, I'm the son of a, of a refugee and my dad would never felt that weird about sticking out. So I grew up with a family where we just always stuck out. And so my first job, I'm like, well, of course I'm going to stick out. Um, I'm going to be different from everybody else and did not really fully understand how that was going to impact me. So like people might not like things that I would do. And I'm like, oh, I don't care. I, I've stuck out all my life. Not the best way to approach your first job. <laughs> and, and it speaks to the mindset that the so-called real world expects of us that's in complete contrast to what we're implicitly taught in school because I'm a faculty member over at the University of California, Berkeley now, and I had to write the syllabus for this course on career navigation. And I was putting myself just back in the shoes of my students. And I'm thinking, oh yeah, I mean, in school, if it's the first day of class, you show up and you expect that the entire syllabus will be laid out for you. All the assignments will be detailed. If the deadline isn't clear as, as I had made a mistake doing, students will ask you about it. And well, when it comes to deadlines, when it comes to expectations, when it comes to where to show up, how to show up, what to do, what to say, who to ask, what to ask, none of this is laid out for you on your first day. So you really do have to step up versus just keep up. It's not enough to simply not procrastinate. You actually have to look left, look right, figure out what others may be expecting of you, but will never tell you. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because throughout your book, I, I would see that theme or you would sort of say, look left, look right. See, you know, see how everyone else is dressing. And you don't have to be a clone, but, you know, don't dress too far from the way they're dressing or look left, look right. What time do people pick, typically show up for work? You know, if most people are showing up at 8.15, even if they say, yeah, you can come in whenever you want, don't roll in at 10.30. <laughs> Actually, the you can do whatever you want line is one that I hear many managers, executives, leaders say, and it's out of good intent. Um, I'm, I'm thinking back to a group of um, software engineers that I had coached over the summer. And they were telling me about how, how much of a misnomer and, and really just false advertising it was for their managers to say, oh yeah, your, your job doesn't start until three, four weeks from now. Just take it easy, you know, catch up on social media, catch up on sleep, take a vacation, relax. What they didn't appreciate though was that there was actually this unspoken expectation, this unspoken rule, so to speak, that they will have gotten themselves up to speed on particular coding languages, on the software stack that this tech company used, that they would be networking already. And so unfortunately, a lot of these folks, many of them were first-generation professionals, those from underrepresented backgrounds, showed up already behind. And this was on their first day. It's unfortunate. Yeah, and, and it's interesting because... That really was a test for people, but no one knew it was a test. You know, it's like, I'm like, <laughs> then when the manager's like, oh, you know, catch up on sleep, spend time on social media, they were kind of testing, okay, are you going to show up prepared in three weeks? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And there's, there's this mindset that, well, the high performers will just subconsciously know this and that we have this sink or swim environment and you either get it or you don't. Um, not realizing that what may be common sense to you really isn't common sense to other people. So many of these unspoken rules are passed down from parent to child or from mentor to mentee or from older sibling to younger sibling. No one comes out of the womb knowing these things. It really takes that person to pull you aside and say, hey, by the way, this person, what they're saying, they don't actually mean. 
Right. And I'll also say, I, I think that's true also, like, not just your first job, but your first job as a manager or your first job as a CFO. Like, because they won't take you aside and say, Here, here's what you should be doing as a manager. Here's what you should be doing as a CFO. And so it's kind of sink or swim there too, but the stakes are so much higher, not just for you, but for everyone who's working in your orbit. A hundred percent. It's funny you mentioned that this isn't just applicable to early career hires. I mean, if you're an executive director of an organization like a nonprofit, there's going to be an unspoken expectation that you'll be having one-on-ones. You'll be learning about who came before you, what their priorities are, who the influencers are in this organization, what's been tried before, what hasn't been tried before. All of these things are things that your staff will be expecting you as the executive director to know and do. And if you don't do these things, you'll be seen as a bulldozer. You'll be seen as too much of a whippersnapper trying to change things up before even learning how things work around here. So folks very far along in their careers don't get this prep work either. Right. And to your point, like if you are an executive director and, you know, you're new in that role, and I don't mean you're a first-time ED, I mean, you know, you might be a third-time ED, but new in the role as an executive director of this particular organization. And, you know, typically you'll have one-on-ones with board members. But then, you know, I'm always shocked at the number of executive directors that before they meet with a board member individually for the first time, won't pull up their LinkedIn profile, won't Google them, won't, won't just do some simple stuff like where do they go to school? What do they do? You know, what do they do for a living besides just their current position? Where do they volunteer? Have they been in the news and for what? Like, and, and so not only that, then they'll often show up like at a Starbucks to meet this board member for coffee and don't even know what they look like. At least on LinkedIn, you can also go, okay, I kind of know who I'm, unless the picture is 20 years old, I kind of know who I'm looking for. Hundred percent. I often will will tell early career hires there's a difference between, and this is also in the book where I say there's a difference between a good question and a bad question. A good question is one that you couldn't have Googled for the answer to yourself. And often they'll take a certain form, which is in the form of, I noticed X, tell me more about Y. And they often take a how or a why question. So Many of us who've been in job interviews before, I suspect many, if not everyone listening to, to our conversation here, will have probably gotten the inevitable interview question of, do you have any more questions for me? Which is, is also one of these unspoken rules because it's framed as a yes or no question, but it's really a yes question. And the right answer is, yes, absolutely. I've got this question. I noticed on your website that you just launched a new initiative in A, B, or C area. Can you tell me more about your thought process around this and that? That's a good question. A not so great question is really the generic stuff of, well, tell me about the culture of your organization, which I could have asked anybody at any time in my sleep. (laughs) And even just stylistically asking a question in this more elegant, more thoughtful, more well-researched way can really set you apart. And I'll also say, assuming you're being interviewed by a manager or an executive in the organization, Asking what is the culture of the organization, you are going to get the most filtered answer ever. Like you are not, like they're not going to say, oh, this place is a pressure cooker. Uh, You know, people either fly or they flee in the first 18 months. You aren't going to get that. 100%. Um, I mean, I have lost count of the number of organizations that will say, well, we're a teamwork oriented, open, transparent, flat organization. Frankly, I'm trying to think of an organization that hasn't told me that. I mean, who, who would mm-hmm. tell you that we're a bureaucratic, siloed organization where people don't talk to each other and it takes 13,000 committees over God knows how long for 
pressed to make any form of decision. No one's going to tell you that. Everyone's going to use the, the very sugar-coated version of what the so-called culture is. Mm-hmm. So a couple other things that really struck me, and, I, and again, as I was reading this book, it was twofold, both, okay, you know, if I was still an early career professional, you know, how could I use this? But also as someone with, you know, a few decades of experience, how can I use this? And you talked about 12 questions that every new hire should learn the answer to, not know, but should learn the answer to. And we can, if we can talk about those, and I'll also say how I found those questions so useful as someone that does interim executive director work. Absolutely. So I'll fly through these here because 12 is a fairly long list, which also goes to show just how many of these unspoken expectations there are that permeate the workplace. And real quick, yeah, like, like don't feel like you need to go through each one. You're just picking out know, three or four because my other hope is that our listeners are going to go, oh yeah, I got to get this book. And so they're going to buy the book <laughs> and, and they'll get to read the other nine. Oh, I appreciate that. Well, you know, I think the big one here is, have I clarified expectations for my role? So even just sitting down with your manager, which by the way, actually the one before this is, have I met my supervisor? <laughs> I should have started that one first because it's not a given that you will even know who you're reporting to. And for those of you who are managing new hires and onboarding, make sure that they actually know who they're supposed to be working with day to day, which team, which supervisor. But once you've had that conversation or once you've identified that person, if that person reaches out to you proactively to set up a one-on-one, fantastic. Follow up, schedule that meeting, send that calendar invitation. If not, unfortunately, there goes another unspoken expectation that you will reach out proactively and set up some time. Now, assuming you're now in that conversation, be sure to clarify several questions. One is, what tasks and deliverables are top priorities in my role? Which ones are secondary? Otherwise, you'll end up misprioritizing and focusing on something that others really don't care about. Another question is, what do you expect me to have contributed or accomplished or have done within the first month, within the first quarter, within the first year? There may be expectations that if not clarified, um, will come back as a rude awakening. And then the third one of actually a number of other questions is, what does success look like in my role? Are there any metrics qualitatively or quantitatively that I should be working towards? I'm thinking of a new hire, an intern, who had a summer project assigned and was told by her supervisor that you know she should volunteer and stepping up to use some of the language from our conversation so far is important. And so that's exactly what she did. She met up with each person. She stepped up to the point where she organized the farewell retirement party for one of her fellow colleagues. And fast forward three months, everyone loved her. But the one thing that she neglected was the one thing that mattered, which was her summer project. And unfortunately, she also didn't know that there was an unspoken expectation that she should ask for feedback. So had she asked, am I on track? What should I start doing, stop doing, and keep doing? She unfortunately didn't know that this was the unspoken rule. And so it wasn't until, well, the decision had already been made that she would not get this full-time job offer that she realized, oh, wow. I'm supposed to step up, yes, but the top priority in my role is a summer project, and that was the one thing I didn't do. Yeah, and the other one that you brought up that I think is so critical and so we see so much in the nonprofit sector, my first job 
out of college, this was true for me, I had two supervisors. So, you know, oftentimes in the nonprofit sector, we'll put one 20-hour-a-week job with another 20-hour-a-week job or one 10-hour-a-week job with one 30-hour-a-week job and go, okay, this is now a full-time job. But I had two supervisors. And no one ever said to me, and this is in your book, no one ever said to me, okay, you really early want to sit down with your two supervisors and ask, okay, what are your expectations around how many hours I'm going to be working for both of you? And what do I do if you each have an urgent project and both have to be done today and I can't get both done? How are we going to mediate? Like, mind-blowing. I know now that I should have done that, but, you know, as a 22-year-old, I did not realize that's what I should have done. (laughs) It speaks to not just being a high performer and a high potential. It also speaks to just necessary work to keep yourself sane. Um, Because when you have two or more supervisors or managers, you can be pretty sure that whenever they delegate you a piece of work, that they'll assume that this is your top priority, not realizing that three other people have also given you tasks that they too thought would be your top priority. And so if you don't be transparent about For example, Dolph, I'm happy to help, but just so you know, I'm also working on project A for this person, project B for this other person, and project C for this other person. And so realistically, I'm not sure I'll be able to start until I get project A and B done, which I think I should be done by this Thursday. Do you mind if we check in um, on Monday or should I reprioritize or have a conversation with these other folks so that I can rejig my, my list of priorities? If you don't, you'll end up suffering and suffering silently. And at the same time, also falling below expectations because folks will think, well, why didn't you let me know? So uh, one of the things that, especially those who are starting out will fall victim to, I mean, speaking from personal experience, is the smile and nod syndrome of feeling so worried that saying no is a sign of weakness or asking questions is a sign of incompetence that I will just smile and nod and hope that the storm will blow over, not realizing that it will only start to build and build and build if I don't have this conversation up front. And let me say, I think that happens to all of us in all stages of our career at some point or another. We've all been at that point where like, I'm just going to smile and nod and hope I can figure it out later. But then it's so hard to figure it out later. Yeah. I mean, it it speaks to a, a term that I hear a ton from from folks in leadership, which is the importance of quote unquote managing expectations. I'd heard that so many times across so many organizations, but no one ever quite defined for me what it meant to manage expectations. And it wasn't until all these interviews that I realized, oh, it's actually about putting yourself in the shoes of your stakeholder, understanding what they explicitly or implicitly expect of you, whether it's what time you're supposed to show up, whether it's when you're supposed to check in with them, whether it's who's going to be in charge of setting the agenda for this upcoming meeting. So putting yourself in the shoes of this other person, asking yourself, what are they expecting of me? And then giving them what they expected and or more than what they expected. And well, because these are unspoken, if you don't ask, you won't know and you'll risk guessing and guessing incorrectly. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You've alluded to the fact that oftentimes we don't get evaluations as frequently as we do when we're in school. So, you know, there's not a test once a month or at, you know, the end of the semester. Oftentimes you get a six-month review and even more often than that, you just get an annual review. You don't get one at all. And, you know, you, you get the feedback when they're like, oh my gosh, you're, you're Dolph, you're doing a terrible job on everything. That's when you get the feedback. 
you have some great techniques and tips for people to ask for feedback and get feedback that's meaningful for them? The first step is to even have that conversation and to make it a normal conversation. So if you haven't already done so, making sure that you have some sort of regular interaction schedule with your manager actually speaks to just one of the basic questions that often go under asked, if that's, if that's a word, on your first day, first week, first month, which is to say, how would you like to communicate day to day or week to week? Would you like me to send you a summary email every Friday afternoon? Would you like me to ping you over instant messenger at the end of every day? Would you like something on the calendar? Would you like to chat face to face? Would you like to just do this over bullet points in an email? Far too frequently, this, this conversation um, well, really just doesn't happen at all. If you do have this conversation, which I hope those of you who don't have this interaction schedule do have, then the question becomes, well, how do you raise this? And one of the favorite questions that I like to ask is, what would you suggest that I start doing, stop doing, and keep doing? And hopefully this is a two-way street that your manager is asking you these questions as well, in which case you can have a conversation about how you can better work together. The key here is to depersonalize feedback, to talk about how the work gets done and what work gets done versus making it awkward in the form of, well, you and I, and once we start getting into those pronouns, we start getting into uncomfortable territory, which is also why feedback often just doesn't happen in the workplace, which is managers find it awkward to give because they don't know how it'll be received. And the receiver isn't sure of, well, maybe there's this comfort that we all have of, well, I, I don't know how I'm doing and maybe it's more comfortable for me to just not ask and assume that everything's okay. Another piece to, to, to keep in mind is how feedback even happens in the workplace. I remember speaking to a, a partner at a global law firm. And the way that I conducted my interviews for the book was I, I asked folks who were managing up to rant to me about their managers. And then I asked managers to rant to me about the people they manage. And the topic of feedback happens, I mean, it, it pops up in every conversation. Those who are managing up will complain to me and say, I never get feedback or I never get actionable feedback. Meanwhile, those who are managing others will say, well, I give feedback all the time. Folks just aren't implementing or acting upon my feedback. At this global law firm, what was interesting was feedback was actually happening every day. It was happening in the form of margin comments, those red lines in memos. So what this global managing partner didn't appreciate or articulate was that every time he gave feedback or markups to a legal brief, that's actually feedback. That's actually saying, actually, I, I'd love for you to pay more attention to this type of research in the future and, and, and to phrase this clause in this other way. The unspoken expectation in that interaction is whatever I'm telling you in the form of margin comments, I'm actually expecting you to learn from, to remember, and to implement next time. So, Gorg, I'm guilty of that as a manager where I'll review something, I'll, I'll write it in the margins, and after I've done it three times, I just think to myself, okay, you're not getting it. And that's, that's the point at which I'll actually verbally say it. But that's also my dope moment where I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, why, why am I failing at this? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's, it's not failing. It's, I, I think it's just um, we have expectations that go 
undershared. And what you may perceive as a manager to be feedback and to be coaching, which I, I hear from managers a lot. They, they want to be good coaches. They want to be good role models. They want to develop the folks who work for them. But it's not explicitly framed as such. And so especially for someone who's just starting out, thinking back in school mode again, if the professor or the teacher gives me an assignment back, I see the grade at the top right-hand corner. I might see some red lines. I might, I may or may not even look at what I did wrong and look at the answer key and such. The lesson comes in the form of a formal lecture. And so often young employees will, will complain that they don't feel like they're receiving very much professional development. Meanwhile, managers will think, well, I'm, I'm, tra- I'm coaching you all the time. You're just not listening. We're just not looking eye to eye, unfortunately. Yeah. Wow. It's interesting. And, and thank you. That's going to help my management practice because I'm going to be more explicit. And thank you. That is really helpful. <laughs> no, seriously, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to make it very clear. Oh, when I give you feedback on this, I'm looking for you to apply it to other, other documents or other activities like this as well. Right. Right. And you'll have to keep me posted on how that goes. I mean, for me, a light bulb went off. I was like, oh, so all of these conversations were actually moments where you wanted me to improve. It wasn't just you telling me everything that's wrong. <laughs> right, right. You're like, fix this, fix that. Right. So the, the other thing I think you gave really good advice on in your book, I know we're about to have to wrap up, but the other thing that you gave really, really good advice on around feedback is how to handle it when your manager asks you for feedback. Because depending on the manager, that could be a minefield. Unfortunately, yep. <laughs> it unfortunately can be. And, and so much of these unspoken rules involve reading the room, reading your stakeholders long before that conversation even happens. So to backtrack, when it comes to reading your manager, ideally, you're doing some of this prep work before you even sit down, before your manager even asks you what feedback you have for them. So one of the things that I would coach, for example, this, this new hire as I'm jumping in an Uber going to the airport is, is to nudge them to read their manager and to try and understand what are their aspirations and what are their insecurities. So are they trying to get promoted? Are they trying to get more recognition? Are they trying to claim more budget for something? Are they trying to push a certain initiative forward? Knowing what your aspirations and well, desperations are <laughs> can tell you a lot about, well, how do you express uh, what I call the three C's of competence, commitment, and compatibility without overshooting the mark and coming across as, as threatening, as know-it-all, as someone who's trying to make others look bad? So... Knowing all of that, then you can walk into this feedback session with your manager and to, well, give feedback that is in line with what they expect. So some managers will, unfortunately, really only want to entertain what they want to hear versus what they need to hear. So knowing that you have a certain type of manager is already a good start. The next is to understand, in their eyes, are you overperforming? or underperforming. If you're overperforming, this is permission for you to ask for more, ask for more important responsibilities, ask to step up, ask to be invited to certain meetings. However, if you are underperforming in their eyes, they're probably going to be expecting that you'll do some introspection. You'll come to the table with 
well, a conversation like, you know, I was reflecting upon my performance with this last project and I feel like I could have done better in A, B, and C areas. I'd love to get your reactions on X, Y, and Z. That's probably the conversation they're expecting you to have, not for you to say, I would love to be a part of this new initiative <laughs> because they're probably thinking, I don't know if you're ready for it. When it comes to asking for feedback or suggesting to your manager how you can better work together, what I like to do is to depersonalize, once again, to say, you know, I've noticed this. Have we ever considered or have, would it be helpful if we did X? Versus saying, you do this. I can't believe you do it this way. <laughs> I can't work in these conditions. I mean, so much of this is not necessarily about the content. It's about the delivery. That's awesome. Gork, that is incredibly helpful. Before we go to the off-the-map question, once again, I just have to say, I wish I had a time machine. Now I wish I could take both the book and you back to 1993 to advise me. I, I will share with you, when I started my first job, I accidentally did not match my socks one day. And it irritated a manager who I just thought was too bougie for herself. And so I was like, okay, great. I'm never going to match my socks ever again. That's what I thought to myself. And I didn't. And I, if I could go back and dope slap myself, I would. I was like, what's <laughs> wrong with you? Why make an enemy over something that, that's completely unimportant? <laughs> Sorry. It, it, it's so important that you say that because one of my biggest learnings after the book came out is that all of these unspoken rules fall into the zone of things that we don't know we don't know. And it's hard to sell preventative medicine. So for someone who is just starting their careers or just entering into a new work environment with a culture that's very different from one that they're familiar with, they might not even have the vocabulary to Google for some of these topics. And so therefore, my book will likely not even reach them. And so it's actually incumbent upon their supervisors, their managers, their leaders to uncover these unknown unknowns and to say, you know, I, it was tough when I was in your shoes. I found this, this, and this helpful. That's part of management. It's part of leadership to be able to help your employees uncover their unknown unknowns because, well, just by definition, they won't know to seek these things out. That is a good point. Thank you. And for the off-the-map question, you know, I, I told you I was hoping the muse would give me something. I was looking at the plants behind you. I'm like, maybe that would make a good off-the-map question. I actually have a... Uh, just to turn the page, so it's probably still on the map, but just on a different page. If you could go back and do a time machine and give yourself some advice when you were a senior in college, and again, you know, you happen to be going back in this time machine as you're waiting for your Uber, so you got to be back in three minutes. Um, I know that I know that makes no logical sense because it's a time machine, but <laughs> <laughs> what advice would you give yourself? The advice that I would give myself, um, which I think just as much applies today as it did when I first started out, is to use LinkedIn, identify people who've walked my shoes before, to understand what choices they made that got them to where they are today. So this is actually something that I would encourage anyone at any stage of their career to, to think about, which is, who do I look up to? Who am I intrigued by? And let me look them up and see what they did when they were in my shoes. What organizations do they work at? What positions do they hold? How long do they hold those positions for? Where did they jump? In what manner did they jump? And I think patterns exist around us all the time. Patterns exist in nature and, and patterns exist in the labor market as well. I think that getting into this habit of pattern recognition can help me 
could have helped me take fewer detours and to uncover, well, who do I look up to? Whose path do I want to follow? I'd encourage folks to do that too. Not at all surprised, Gorg. Amazing advice for yourself and all of us. Thank you. That's incredible. Th- again, th- thank you so much for coming on today. And friends, I want to make sure that you are able to reach out to Gorg. So it's actually really simple. Go to gorg.com. And while you're there, you can learn more about his work. You can learn more about his book. In fact, you can actually order his book in bulk. Quick tangential aside, right now I'm the interim ED of an organization, and we're probably going to be hiring a number of people over the next few months. And I will be gifting a copy of this book to everybody along with their hire letter. So I just, this is such an amazing book. And everyone who's thinking about starting a new position should check this book out. And also, if you're a manager, give it to your new hires. It's well worth it. And so, again, you can find out about uh, bulk book orders at gorick.com. Uh, Gork also does speaking. So if you're interested in having a speaker come, he could do that as well. And you can sign up for his email list. And finally, either right about now or in the very near future, you can also um, get some online courses at gork.com and a whole treasure trove of other resources for students, educators, professionals, and managers. So make sure, not just today, but in about a month or two as well, you check out gork.com. Gork, thank you again for coming on the podcast. Oh, this was so much fun. Thank you so much for this opportunity, Dolph, and looking forward to staying in touch. All right, friends, don't forget if you can't remember gorick.com, although I don't know why you couldn't, but maybe it's two days from now and you're like, wait, there was someone on Dolph's podcast. Just go to successfulnonprofits.com, check out the show notes this week, and you will find the link both to Gorick's website as well as to purchase this book on Amazon. And as always, friends, I am deeply appreciative if you rate and review the podcast and also appreciative if this is an episode that you're like, yeah, this was good. I learned a lot here. There's always appreciative if you download a couple more. So I would suggest episode 199 with Chris Holmes, Landing Your Dream Job. And I would also suggest episode 187 with Deb Stallings, Coaching for Nonprofit Leaders. That, my friends, is our show for the week. I hope that you have gained some insight to help your nonprofit thrive. And you know, lawyers make me say it. Otherwise, I would not. I'm not an accountant nor an attorney. I don't know why the lawyers make me say this because we did not talk about legal tax or accounting advice, but that's okay because I don't do it. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied on for legal tax or accounting advice. That's pretty much it. If you need that type of advice and counsel, find a licensed, qualified professional and get their counsel.